Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Brian Cosby. He is senior pastor of Wayside Presbyterian Church in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. That's real close to my hometown, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you back. I say back because you are a graduate of Beeson Divinity School. Yeah, it's great being back here. I I was just joking a moment ago, you seem to publish a book a month. You've been very prolific since you left Beeson earned a doctorate in theology from the Australian College of Theology, writing on John Flavel. Tell us who John Flavel is. He was a later English Puritan and um, and really overlooked uh, today, but in his own time, roughly about 1630, 1691, a very popular preacher in Dartmouth, England, and, um, and a great sufferer, and he wrote a lot about suffering. And so I studied his his theology of suffering, but popular, well-known preacher of his day. A pastoral um, theologian, you'd have to say. Yeah, absolutely. really concerned about uh, the places in life where, where we cry out to God out of great need and hurt right. and suffering in our lives. So uh, we could spend the whole podcast talking <laughs> about John Flavel, what an important Puritan theologian, and neglect is. So I'm glad you've written on him. But our, our topic today is another book you've written, Just Hot Off the Press, from David Cook called Uncensored, Daring to Embrace the Entire Bible. Now, what is this book about? Well, I became aware in my own life about areas in Scripture that I seem to uh, overlook or ignore or, as we're calling it, censor. And, uh, and I remember this when I was here at Beeson and uh, I was in Dr. Smith's preaching class and he passed around a fishbowl yeah. full of difficult texts. And I reached in and pulled out a text that I would be preaching on uh, that semester. And it was from Second Kings 2 uh, about these bears eating boys mm. uh, from out of Bethel. And, uh, and I thought, well, I never heard this in Sunday school. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, I thought about the, the flood. And when I was growing up, I always thought about the flood being... Uh, cute, fluffy, smiling animals, you know, mm. that was painted on our nursery walls. But I never heard the other side, the difficult side of that, the judgment of God against sin. Mm. Um, but it really came, I really saw this pattern in my life when I was reading Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, it's a beautiful psalm. Most people that are probably listening to this have heard it and, and know it well, uh, whether it's life that they're uh, maybe Sanctity of Life Sunday, they've heard it, or just the character and attributes of God. But I remember re-reading my Bible, and I had a lot of that chapter underlined and highlighted, and I get down to verse 19, and it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Mm. And for some reason, that's not underlined in my Bible. <laughs> I skip down a number of verses and, and lead me in the way everlasting, and I highlight and underline that one. And I realize, well, why do I do that? Why is it that I want to ignore and... Um, and, and censor and cherry pick out those passages that I think are warm and fuzzy and make me feel good, but, but I leave the others behind. And when I l- 
put my head up and looked around the evangelical landscape, I noticed that this was happening all over. So, you know, we think about censorship in a way, um, people casting aspersions against the truthfulness, the authority, the inspiration of the Bible. That happens all the time, kind of in the secular academy. It happens in popular culture. Uh, but you're really addressing this more internally to the evangelical church because it's happening there as well, isn't it? That's right. I think that most people don't realize they do it. I, th- I call it functional embarrassment of the Bible mm-hmm. um, because – most people don't, you know, you say, are you, in, are you embarrassed by Scripture or parts of Scripture? And they'll say, well, no, of course not. But when you go through it, uh, we see that there are these areas that we might be a little embarrassed by uh, in the Bible. I remember I was reading uh, to my daughter, uh, Berenstein Bear's book, uh, The mm-hmm. Forgiving Tree. Uh, she loves that book. And, but at the beginning, it has this Bible verse from Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you forgive others their sin, then my heavenly Father will forgive you your sin. It doesn't give the second part of that uh, verse that if you don't forgive others their sin, then my Heavenly Father will not forgive you your sin. So we see that in books. We see that on billboards. Uh, We see it, you know, you're not going to hear a lot of the verses on Christian radio. You'll hear nice, pleasing, uplifting verses, but some of these other ones we're neglecting. And I think that it's this half counsel of God is leading to a half joy and a half uh, hearted faith. So that's why it's one of the reasons that I wanted to unpack that and research that in our culture. Now, in your book, you identify seven, in particular, censored topics in the Bible. We won't go through all seven, but give us one or two and how you address them. Yeah, I, as I try to think through, what are the most common censored areas that we just don't want to deal with? And I, and I came to these seven, but one of them uh, I think is most common is just the character of God, uh, who God is, his full attribute, all of his attributes, his full character. And uh, we tend to highlight his, his love and grace, um, but we seem to oftentimes neglect his justice. And, and his holiness. Holiness and his righteousness, mm-hmm. his that he is self-existent and self-sufficient from all eternity. Um, and, and so often the way we talk about God is more that he's my co-pilot, that, uh, you know, I, I kind of talk about Home Depot theology. And what do you mean ways. by that, Home Depot theology? They used to run the slogan, uh, you can do it, we can help. And, uh, and I picked that up and said, well, you know, Home Depot theology is you can do it, God can help. And so this idea that you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's God's there to aid you, but he's he's really just this kind of more of a deistic God. Mm-hmm. He's not really engaged uh, providentially in, in your life. And so, um, you know, I'll let him take the wheel, uh, but he's really not uh, in control. My he's there my co-pilot. A, That's a right. Bumper sticker with that. That's right. So I think God is just the, we're making God in our image. There's, there's an aspect in which we're censoring Parts of God's character. So that's certainly one of the, the main ones that, uh, that I tried to point out. What about heaven and hell? Now, we hear a lot about heaven and angels, and, it is, and it's wonderful in a way that people are thinking about there is a life after this life on earth. There is an eternity to face. But more often we think about the joy, the bliss, the glory, and we leave out the darker side. But it's in the Bible. It's in Jesus, isn't it? It is. And, uh, you know, I think that Americans are obsessed with heaven. I mean, if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, I found four, I mentioned them in our book here, four or so of these books uh, that are New York Times bestsellers on heaven. Of course, I didn't really see 
many on hell. But this is certainly something that the New Testament writers uh, frequently wrote about, and they even had friends and family members like we do mm-hmm. that no doubt are continue to reject Christ. And and as you as you mentioned, Jesus himself he spoke about hell more than anybody else, and so it is a reality, uh, and we don't want to face it. I think one really helpful thing, maybe for the listeners out there that I, I found very helpful with this, is something that actually came from David Platt, mm-hmm. and uh, he was talking about how it's not the smallness of the sin, but the greatness of God, mm-hmm. and and that really. Uh, it, it helps to understand. He said, he, I remember him saying, a penalty for sin is determined by the magnitude of the one who is sinned against. Mm. So if you go and you slap your good friend, he might slap you back. You go, you slap a police officer, same action, he might get thrown in jail. You go and maybe slap the king of Saudi Arabia or something, uh, you might be, you know, wanting your head uh, mm. at that point. Same action, but it's the magnitude of the one you're sinning against. And I think it's important to understand mm. when we think about: Do we really deserve hell? It's a little sin, but it's it's really the greatness and the holiness of God. And I've often thought about, uh, you know, hell is something that uh, we would all be destined for, apart from the mercy and grace of God. Is you know, it's it's not that we earn the right to go to heaven, or that we just be, we have natural immortality of the soul, and that's a, a speed ticket uh, to glory. It's it's the it's the grace and mercy of God that uh, saves us all from e- eternity without Him. That's right, and I think when we come to the place of realizing what is it that we really deserve, um, what are the wages of our sin, hmm. and when we come to that place, we really see that we deserve death and hell forever. I know that's offensive. I know that's very offensive. But when we're saying we're entitled to health, wealth, and prosperity or entitled to life, liberty, and continual happiness, uh, it really skews our, our view of mercy and skews our view of grace. Now, Brian, I don't know how old you are, but you're about the age of my son, Christian. You all were students together here at Beeson, good friends. Uh, so you're fairly young. You're probably a millennial. Or, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you say, Brian, to somebody who comes up and says to you, Brian, you're you're just a Bible-thumping fundamentalist. Uh, get with it, young man. Yeah, I think when you, uh, when you survey what are the hard issues that everybody has to wrestle with and face, whether it's morality, uh, how do you know what is right and wrong, uh, or or even the experience of suffering. I mean, there's certain things that every human being uh, wrestles with, and I think it's it's sometimes easier to to talk with people on on that area and to say, well, Scripture gives us uh, the answers to this. The whole counsel of God gives us the answers to these things. You know, even you know, how can you fight for human rights? You know, what is the basis of morality for the dignity and, and value of life? Well, the scriptures give that, and and I think that's a great way to lead into, uh, I think, an idea that all scripture, not just parts, all scripture is God breathed. You know, you you point out this fact that uh, it's often in the broken places of life, uh, in moments of weakness, of suffering, uh, when you're up against your limits and you you don't know where to go or what to do. In that moment of vulnerability. You are able and ready to hear the word of redemption and grace, which includes the whole counsel of God. Uh, it's not something you just kind of are automatically prepared for. But in those moments of stress and distress, uh, God's word comes to you. Yeah, that's right. And I think especially in, in, in terms of suffering, uh, you know, it, we might be tempted to 
um, lower God's sovereignty and uh, aff- an affirmation of God's sovereignty or his goodness or his omnipresence. All three would need to be maintained for a, a, thir- a thorough and, and thoroughly biblical view of suffering. Um, but really, I think when we downplay that, we're not helping um, those areas that we do need uh, to, to know the truth, truth and to know that uh, there's been many people, not least of which Christ himself, who have experienced that suffering. Now, one of the things that uh, is very often, uh, I think, popularly understood uh, is the contrast between Old Testament and New Testament. A lot of people love the New Testament. They're the red-letter Christians, sometimes called, because that's where we find the words of Jesus. And they gravitate to the New Testament to the neglect and sometimes even the denial of the Old Testament as being the Word of God. Speak about that balance, Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah, this is one of the major issues I try to wrestle with uh, in the book for sure because um, you mentioned the red letter, uh, which is also another indication. As I know some people – I mean I love the red letters. I mean in, in the sense that it helps me find what Jesus is saying. But sometimes it can lead to a sense that the black letters around it are not as important. So even even on that issue, it's it's it, you know we need to be careful. But the the Old and New Testament together, you know, a lot of a good question to ask is what did the New Testament writers think about the Old Testament? And they certainly quoted and used and 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 showed how the New Testament fulfilled the Old, how Christ fulfilled uh, the Old, and the promises and and the the temple and the sacrifices and all the things that we see uh, in the Old Testament. And, and one of the areas that is most uh, often you know, brought up against Christians is places in Leviticus, uh, stoning the adulterer, stoning the rebellious uh, child. Children, and, yeah. yeah, children in, in Deuteronomy. You see that in Deuteronomy um, as well. And, um, and people say, well, why don't you do this now? Or why don't you uh, – how can you eat pork uh, I love barbecue, and is is this a problem? Or Are you confessing a sin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they weren't allowed to eat camels, uh, and and uh, various things that we find that are odd, and and I think for a lot of evangelicals, embarrassing. But when we see that continuity, and I think more in in terms, I try to under, unpack what it means of God's ongoing covenant of grace in Old and New Testament. But when you see that continuity, and you see the fulfillment in Christ. Uh, you see how those things pointed to him and and how he is the Passover lamb and uh, he is that temple. And all the various things that we see, we see those things uh, fulfilled in Christ. So the Bible is an interconnected meta narrative with Jesus Christ as its center. And in some ways, you could think of the New Testament as a commentary on the Old Testament in the light of Christ. That's right. You know, you start reading through you know the book of Matthew, for example, and you can't go more than a few verses, and it's talking about uh, as it was written, and it's it's just mm-hmm. I mean it's just filled, replete with uh, passages from the Old Testament. So I think as a as a Christian who affirms the whole counsel of God, uh, and even Paul in writing and even saying that in Acts chapter twenty, that phrase mm-hmm. uh, to the elders, um, even affirming that he is talking about. The Old Testament, and even young Timothy, uh, from a childhood acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to make him wise for salvation in Christ. Uh, certainly, uh, Paul and the New Testament writers, as they look back, they saw that as scripture and pointing to Christ. You're absolutely right. I want to ask you one more thing along the same line, and that's the contrast that's often drawn between Jesus and Paul. 
this was a sort of an, a part of the shtick of old-fashioned theological liberalism that you know Jesus gave us the true, the pure, the good, and then along comes Paul and he messes it up. He he complexifies it. He gives these big Asian words like justification and sanctification. So we want to get away from Paul and back to Jesus because that's the pure heart of Christianity. That's, for example, the argument in Adolf von Harnock's What is Christianity, published in the year 1900. Speak to that contrast between Jesus and Paul in the light of the theme of censorship. I think that someone who would affirm that, that the, the difference between the two, um, the distinction between the two, a hard distinction, there you're not really uh, reading all of what Jesus had to say. I mean, there's a lot that Jesus said, uh, not only just against the Pharisees and the broods of vipers uh, that he uh, came in contact with, but uh, but certainly very difficult things that he says, you know, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. That doesn't doesn't sound like you know uh, your best life now. It doesn't sound like you can do that. And if we can't do that, what? How can we be saved? Mm-hmm. If if the expectation is perfect, you know, he doesn't lower his standards to let us in. You know, the disciples asking that, Lord, who can be saved? You've given us such a high standard; it's impossible. Yeah, and what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so, certainly, Christ would affirm things like justification. Uh, saying that you can't do it. That's the beauty of the gospel is that you can't do it. You need Christ. You need me and not just my death, but you need my life. Mm. You need my my perfect record of obedience. And so if you really read through Jesus, there's some very offensive things. We can't forget that he was crucified. Mm. He said some offensive things and we can't forget that part that as the only righteous one who ever walked this earth. You know, Brian, uh, you're a pastor. Uh, the pastor of the Wayside Presbyterian Church on Signal Mountain, Tennessee. Uh, and in a way, you wrote this book, I think, out of a pastoral concern, didn't you? Uh, you you're concerned about your people and, and all the, the people of God in whatever congregation they may find themselves. Talk to us about uh, what will happen to those who, as you put it in the last chapter of this book, dare to embrace the entire Bible. What's the pastoral output you're looking for? My, my hope in this, my goal in this, is that people will gain a sense of, of humility before the Word, the sola scriptura, of the authority of Scripture, all of it, and that they would see themselves as being transformed by the renewing of their minds according to its truth. Uh, and if, there's, if there are areas that they find uncomfortable or areas that they don't, uh, they find themselves ignoring that they would come to those places and camp out there, ask the Lord to give me understanding, and uh, you know, wrestle with the text. Don't let it go until it blesses you, as mm. Jacob might say. Um, that there's a sense in which we want to understand those hard parts and maybe uh, get a good study Bible if uh, if you don't have one out there. If you're listening to this, uh, get a good study Bible and get some commentaries. Go to Beeson Divinity School yes. uh, and uh, get some great help there. But uh, I would hope that they would come to a place um, that could be because I've heard people say, you know, John 3.16 is really all that matters. The other stuff is just gravy. Uh, I'm concerned about the gravy. Mm. I'm concerned about everything else um, that we that we read. God has given us this wonderful revelation. And uh, I, was, I was oftentimes think if I was in another country, a closed country, and I found just some fragments 
of the Bible. But it just so happened to be fragments that were difficult and maybe otherwise I would have just cast, you know, pushed aside. How would I look at those fragments? How do I treat those fragments? Would I see those fragments as the Word of God mm. and profitable and useful for for me? And so I think as on a pastoral level, this is important as we as we consider the the difficult areas pastorally of church discipline, maybe of having qualified leaders in the church, things that maybe oftentimes we might ignore. Um, but this, I think, would call us to say, you know, let's look, look what Scripture has to say about this. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And that's really what you're saying in this book. I, I want to shift. We're almost out of time, but I want to ask you about a column that you wrote for the Chattanooga newspaper uh, this past summer uh, entitled, Doctors Advised My Mom to Abort Me. That was a very powerful statement. We used it on our Beeson website and shared it with others. Would you share a little bit about that article, why you wrote it, and perhaps how it relates to the theme of your book here, Uncensored? Yeah, I was uh, – I had gone back home uh, for a, a Christmas a Christmas holiday, and uh, I was – uh, look around my parents' basement, which is just full of books. And uh, you met my parents. Yes, wonderful and, people. And um, we were looking around these bookshelves, and I, and I noticed this one book by Maurice Rawlings to Helen back. And it, for some reason, Holy Spirit, uh, I pulled that book off the shelf, and I th- thumbed through the first few pages, and I saw that it was uh, uh, dedicated to my mom. And it said in the dedication that – uh, despite the recommended abortion that she went through carrying her only child to term, knowing that that would put her life in jeopardy um, because they were not able to start the, the uh, cancer treatment until after that. So uh, so I saw that, and it, it really impacted me. And, and she actually ended up dying in, in 1996. And, uh, and so in, in, a, in a real way, she gave her life for mine. So I, in light of all these videos that have come out uh, recently with with Planned Parenthood and mm. and things, I've uh, I was just I was wondering, you know, it's so easy to believe the lie that uh, that life isn't valuable, that children aren't valuable, that they're in inconvenience, mm. and so uh, yeah, one of the chapters I, I wrote in in here is on outsourcing parenting, um, that we want anybody and everybody else to raise our kids. Just as we go to the CPA for taxes and the and the mechanic for an oil change, so we go to anybody and everybody, whether it's a coach or teacher or tutor or wherever. And because there's this general uh, anti anti children um, trend that we're seeing, and I think abortion is one effect of that. Uh, and so that's what kind of led me to to write that. Well, thank you for doing it. I mean, it was very revealing of your your own story, but with great implications for where we are in this culture today. Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Brian Cosby. He is the pastor of the Wayside Presbyterian Church, a PCA congregation on Signal Mountain, Tennessee. He also is a graduate of Beeson Divinity School and the author of multiple books, including uncensored, daring to embrace the entire Bible, published by David Cook. And you can order this book, I'm sure, Amazon.com and any other place you get books. It's a great read. I recommend it. Uncensored, daring to embrace the entire Bible. Thank you, Brian, for this conversation. Thank you so much.
You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.